queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, is that Dr. Hoda? Yes, it is. Brian Goldman here. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. Um, so how are you keeping your spirits up during COVID-19? <laughs> well, I just came from having a week off, which made a, a big difference. So, um, you know, I think that we all have to take advantage of when things are a little bit quieter to, to take a break. It's important. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. And I'm going to read a little introduction, and then we'll be beginning our conversation, and we'll have a lot of fun. Okay. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. All summer long, while White Coat Black Art takes a break, we're bringing you our weekly podcast that answers your pressing health questions and helps you understand the latest health news. This week, we're tackling the first line of defense against COVID-19, the face mask. An Angus Reid survey found just one in five Canadians always wears a mask when they go out in public. Close to half said they rarely or never wear a mask. That's despite public awareness campaigns and despite mandatory face mask laws in some parts of Canada. So this week on The Dose, we're answering the question, do masks really keep me safe from COVID-19? To answer that question, we have Dr. Susie Hota. She's the Medical Director for Infection Prevention and Control at University Health Network in Toronto. Dr. Susie Hota, welcome to The Dose. Hello. So there's lots to talk about. Let's start with the basics. How do masks keep us safe from COVID-19? So we've long known that wearing a mask actually works as source control. So that means that if you have a virus infection and you're wearing a mask, you stop the large droplets that have the virus within them from being released and infecting those around you, at least to some degree. Um, what we're learning with COVID-19 now is that you might actually have individual protection from those around you as well if you wear a mask uh, in public. We didn't have that information in the earlier parts of the pandemic, but now we're seeing as we put all the data together that masks can be broadly helpful in reducing transmission from person to person. Uh, so, so yeah, knowing that, it's uh, useful to think about wearing some kind of a face covering when you're in an area where you can't distance yourself from other people. Um, in very broad terms, what are the limitations to wearing masks, uh, non-medical masks that is out in public? Well, I mean, the limitations are people have to be wearing the masks correctly. So you have to make sure that your nose and your mouth is properly covered, that it's fitting you well, and that you're using a mask that has material that actually does have some effect. Um, so stretchy material is not as effective because you don't have the same filtering um, capacity as something that's more tightly woven. And we don't know a lot about different types of cloth masks that are out there, but um, I do think the material type is important. Um, how, how many layers there are in the mask is also important. Um, so if you're just wearing something that isn't quite as uh, tightly woven, maybe made from a thinner material, you may not be getting the type of protection that you would otherwise. 
So if you were to go and, and purchase a, uh, a, a non-medical mask, you know, what kinds of suppliers would you be uh, likely to use? I mean, it's a, it's a good question. There are all kinds of suppliers out there right now who are manufacturing um, non-medical masks, and many of them look a lot like the medical masks. So you do have to really read the, the container that it comes in, the insert of the product to understand if it's been tested. Um, so, you know, buying something that looks like a medical mask but is non-medical grade is a little bit uh, hard to evaluate. Um, so you, you're going to have to just kind of try it out and see how well it stands up to the wear and tear. Uh, I mentioned off the top that recent Angus Reid uh, poll about mask wearing. That survey also asked about people's main reasons for not always wearing a mask. And the number one response was because physical distancing offers enough protection. What would you say to those people? Well, I would say there are many circumstances where it's really hard to know what's going to happen in two minutes. So how predictable is your environment? And especially when you're in indoor settings where, you know, it's a closed environment and you're all sharing the air ultimately. It is important to be aware of how many people are in that space and what the ventilation is like. Wearing a mask takes away some of that decision-making that you have to use to see if you're going to be able to safely uh, distance yourself and be in an environment where you still have enough ventilation, good ventilation to protect you. So it's just easier from like an implementation point of view to be wearing the mask rather than having to walk through all of those different steps. We're hearing reports of fake mask exemption cards. You know, people are pretending that they have an exemption from their doctor uh, from having to to wear a mask on a mandatory basis. Have you seen any of this? I have uh, seen, well, maybe not seen with my own eyes, but definitely heard about this happening. And um, it's really unfortunate because the whole idea of trying to make masks mandatory in certain areas is to try and help everybody. We're trying to get ahead of transmission within this pandemic, which is going to benefit us all. And so when people start doing things like this, it really has a a huge impact on our ability to, um, you know, control this pandemic. And it's uh, also it undermines those who do have true medical reasons for not wearing a mask. So uh, I do find that disappointing. As the medical director for infection prevention and control at a major hospital, what do you think is at the root of this resistance to wearing masks that we've seen in, in some parts of the public? Well, I think some people feel like it's imposing another restriction on them and there's a lot of fatigue. You know, we've asked people to do things differently through this pandemic for several months now. And it's not surprising that there's anger and um, people are feeling upset about it and maybe are manifesting it um, by blaming something, blaming this on an object, a mask. I want to ask you about another factor that, that uh, some people have cited, and that's the, the, the history of inconsistent messaging around masks. If you go back over the history of COVID-19, early on, public health officials did not encourage mask wearing. Then they did. Today, some parts of Canada and the United States have mandatory mask policies and others don't. How much of an impact has that inconsistency had? Yeah, I mean, this is something that people have cited as a problem. And all I can say is, you know, with every recommendation we've made through this pandemic, there is a black box warning that says this may change as we learn more. And I think as, you know, as as people who are trying to do the right thing, we should all recognize that pandemics are very dynamic situations. Things change. We are researching as we go along so that we can better inform our policies. And so absolutely in the beginning of this pandemic, I was amongst others who has said that there is really no role for wearing a mask in public if you are outside of a healthcare facility 
with COVID-19. Since then, we've learned that this infection can transmit when people are not yet showing symptoms. That's a really important game changer. And also we've learned that as I started off this, uh, this interview talking about, we've learned that we can actually protect ourselves as individuals. There's actual data to support that, not just using masks as source control. So, you know, it, it, it sort of behooves us to use this information to change policy. If people want to see this as being hypocritical, um, I think that's a bit misdirected. It's really just trying to stay up to date with how we've learned things uh, have evolved over time. In terms of the, the second part, though, is an, another uh, type of question. You know, I think different jurisdictions uh, have approached this differently. So, you know, some areas have made it mandatory. Some of this depends on what's happening in the local epidemiology and, and just how quickly cases have arisen. And that informs the approach as well. Um, so there may be some differences in different parts of the country uh, in terms of whether it's mandatory or not. Personally, I feel like masks are something that we should all just get comfortable wearing all the time when we're in public indoor spaces. I feel like this is one way that we can try to make the pandemic more manageable for all of us. What do you think is a, are, are some of the, the, the good ways or the best ways to make mask wearing normal, to normalize it? Well, I think um, a, par- a part of it will be peer pressure and what we see other people around us doing So, and, and role modeling. So if we see our leaders doing doing this, wearing masks, and that's going to be a lot more compelling for people, you know. Um, So I think that's a a big part of it. I think there are other strategies like, you know, turning it into the next fashion statement. Uh, You can do all kinds of things with your masks to make them, you know, interesting to wear. Um, And that might be something that would convince people uh, to to adopt it as something that we wear all the time. Um, You know, the, the education piece is important for people to understand why. I think there's been some effort already put into it. And uh, what we need now is for people to just, uh, you know, buy into it and continue to wear them. Um, I, I want to uh, talk about something that we've seen in the United States or coming from the United States, and that is uh, a certain degree of anti-mask rhetoric. Uh, some from President Trump and some coming from political leaders, governors, for instance, uh, of various states in the southern United States. How much of that do you think is having an impact on attitudes here in Canada? Well, I think that people see that and, um, you know, it may help to fuel some of the negativity. I won't deny that at all. I like to think that the culture is different in Canada, though, and that uh, people will see that, what's happening in the United States is is not what we want to see happening here in Canada. Um, the anti-mass rhetoric is occurring at a time when you're seeing explosive growth in COVID cases in some areas that have even controlled it in the past uh, through the earlier parts of their wave. So I, I see that as a really unfortunate situation and I hear that from a lot of other Canadians and I'm hoping that we can look to that as a lesson to how we can approach things so that we we avoid getting in a similar situation. There's rhetoric, there's anti-mask rhetoric that is, and, and, and there are legitimate questions. And here's an email we received from Beverly Burlock from Nova Scotia. I had a hair appointment yesterday during which I had to wear a mask for a little over three hours. Periodically during that time, I had to lift the bottom edge of the mask so I could catch my breath. My hairdresser also mentioned wearing her mask was making her much more tired. My question, or her question, is while breathing inside the mask, are we getting sufficient oxygen? Any thoughts on that? 
You know, I think that there is a perception that you're getting not getting enough oxygen sometimes when you're wearing a mask. It gets warm in there. And you can also become a lot more conscious of your breathing itself. And uh, I think that makes people a little bit nervous at times. And, and uh, you know, you start to breathe faster and harder. Uh, but there is no evidence that you're actually reducing your oxygen. Um, I think what people might want to consider if they're not comfortable in those situations is finding a mask where it's a little bit more breathable because the breathability of the fabric or the material is important um, and maybe they can be more comfortable. Uh, you know, I, I, I run uh, probably about 50 kilometers a week and, and I have discovered that when I'm going up the tallest hills, I have trouble sucking enough air with a mask. So are there some limitations to wearing a mask that, that, that even, and, and, and that was a, that was a, a medical mask. Yeah. It was not a cloth mask. It was a, it was a medical mask. Yeah. So first of all, I'm very impressed that you were running that amount. That's great. Um, but I would say you don't, there's no need to be wearing a mask uh, while you're exercising or running outdoors. Um, you know, the, the important use of the mask is really going to be in those environments where it's indoors, it's a closed environment. It's less predictable when people are going to be coming into that area with you. You may not be able to maintain your physical distancing. You don't know what the ventilation is like. Outdoors, you've got infinite exchanges of air air around you, um, which means you're always being surrounded by fresh air. And especially when you're running, it's very difficult to tolerate wearing a mask. So I, you know, I think that you're right. There are not uh, there are some circumstances where you don't need to wear a mask, and in fact, it's going to just be uncomfortable. So you're probably you're less likely to wear it properly. Um, you know, since we're talking about the questions that people have about masks, what would you say are valid reasons for not wearing a mask? The valid reasons for not wearing a mask, so the medical exemptions, there aren't very many. It would really come down to people with serious lung diseases um, where, you know, it's, it's difficult for them to breathe and wearing a mask might make it that much more difficult for them to catch their breath. Uh, you know, there are also possibilities of allergic reactions to the kinds of fibers that you have on these masks. But because we are also um, permitting people to wear cloth masks and learning more about cloth masks, I think it's less likely that, you know, you'll have someone who's allergic to every type of fabric, um, including cotton and other things that you would be wearing in your clothes. Uh, the final thing is a little bit more challenging, and that's really those with bad anxiety disorders who might actually have them precipitated by wearing something that feels like it's uh, causing more resistance with the breathing. And so that, um, you know, I think it's a case-by-case -case assessment by a physician who knows in the individual to understand if they may be in that category of, of running into problems. You're listening to The Dose on CBC Radio 1. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Hey, my name is Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of FrontBurner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear FrontBurner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Dose on CBC Radio 1. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This week, we're answering the question, do masks really keep me safe from COVID-19? My guest is Dr. Susie Hota, the Medical Director for Infection Prevention and Control at University Health Network in Toronto. 
We see a lot of restaurant uh, and service industry workers wearing uh, plastic face shields instead of cloth masks. How effective are they as an alternative? We don't truly know yet how effective face shields are. I'm really hoping we get that data together soon because it seems like it could offer a nice alternative to wearing a face mask. Uh, The one thing about face shields is most of them are open at the bottom. And so depending on if they shift and how they're positioned on your face, you may not get adequate coverage uh, from below. So that's one disadvantage of the face shield. Uh, But the positive that a face shield offers that a mask will not offer is it also provides you with some eye protection. So with these viruses, we talk a lot about the respiratory transmission. That is the most uh, important risk for getting infected. But you can also get droplets that splash onto your eyes and can lead to an infection. That's less of a contributor, but still a a possibility. I don't know about you, Dr. Hoda, but I've certainly heard from people who have said they need to be able to read lips to communicate, and they can't because the person they're, they're trying to communicate with is wearing a mask. Um, have you encountered that situation? I have. I've heard this from several people, and then I've heard this as well with uh, with kids, you know, kids who are learning language and um, who do really need to see facial expressions, not just lip reading, but also see the facial expressions of those that are speaking. And I think that's where uh, I've seen some creative, uh, clear-coloured masks. Um, again, the material that they're made of may or may not be a a good choice and I I don't know how well they've been evaluated but certainly there is a need for something like that to come onto the market Uh, and again the face shields have arisen as an option in in those kinds of settings where people need to read lips. I've seen one called Mingle Mask which uh, which is one of those alternatives that you're talking about not tested yet by Health Canada not approved but 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 an option out there and let's not forget that there are apps you know hearing helper for instance mm-hmm. uh, where the person who's speaking to you can speak uh, into their smartphone and and you can actually read on off the screen what they're saying right right so I think you know it's bringing out a lot of good creativity as to how we can actually overcome these problems while wearing our masks Dr. Hoda, I wanted to read you a tweet we got about people who work in healthcare. It's from at Top Coach Dino. I see a lot of photos of healthcare workers' cars with many masks all over the seat or the floor. Uh, could they have the coronavirus and, and could the virus be airborne inside the vehicle due to rummaging or removal and then be breathed in? Well, the one thing I would say is the virus uh, SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19 is a pretty wimpy virus. It's not like it sticks around for that that long on most surfaces and especially on softer surfaces. Um, so while we know that surfaces and items can get contaminated with the virus and that's why it's important to wash your hands and keep things clean we're learning over time that it seems to be less of a contributor to transmission overall than the respiratory route of transmission so it doesn't look good to see masks strewn all over a car uh, on the ground and and not really necessarily stored in in a good or safe way the overall risk is probably quite low to anybody who would be in in that car and certainly I'm not worried about airborne transmission within that car because of the presence of those masks. I'd like to ask you a question that will eventually get us to masks. It's about something that 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 we've been hearing about in the news quite a bit lately. More and more provinces are opening up bars where alcohol is being served and there's a lot of concerns about about uh, indoor bars. What's the risk for frontline workers and patrons in that kind of environment? Yeah, bars really are, in my mind, one of the riskier um, environments for transmission. And it does make me nervous to see bars opening up. Um, The challenge with bars is they are often, you know, darker, 
sometimes less ventilated areas. Uh, they're closed environments in many cases. And you get people who are there intending to socialize. I mean, that's uh, the main reason why you go to a bar and are moving around. So it's not like you're usually just in a fixed uh, position when you're in a bar. And then you're, of course, there to drink and, and eat and, and talk to people. And so masks are often off. And, um, you know, you're sharing alcoholic beverages sometimes. And, uh, and that can get your inhibitions down. So all of it together is kind of like a convergence of different factors that make it pretty risky for transmission um, as the night goes on. Uh, I, I, you know, I think the patrons, the people who are visiting the bars are the ones who are at most risk. Those working there can probably continue to wear their masks through their shifts and they're at slightly lower risk, but they're there for longer periods of time. So I do worry about those folks as well. And for patrons, um, I mean, the safest thing would be to wear a mask, which would continuously, which would kind of defeat the purpose of going to the bar. Yeah, I still haven't figured out how you can drink your drink or have your meal with your mask on all the time. So, I, you know, it's just not a realistic expectation for people. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's a very difficult topic. And personally, I, I feel like, you know, we can try it and see how it, how, how it goes. But ultimately, it would be the first place where I would shut things down again uh, if there is a concern. We've been hearing a fair amount lately about possible airborne transmission of COVID-19. How does that affect our approach to the decision to wear a mask or not? So this is actually a really complicated topic because I think people are uh, mistaking the possibility of aerosols, which means small droplets being generated by those who are sick with COVID-19, coughing or sneezing, or even talking vigorously, with this being something that is primarily transmitted through the airborne route. So in my world of infection prevention and control, when we say something is an airborne virus or an airborne infection, it means that primarily it is transmitted by these tiny droplets that can travel far distances within a room um, or along air currents and therefore infect a lot of people in that range, that large range. We're just not seeing that happen in real life with COVID-19. We know that people can generate these small droplets, but likely there's just not enough virus in those tiny aerosols um, or it, it's not capable of setting up infections because otherwise we'd see much higher attack rates. Uh, within airplanes or in, in, even in rooms where people are infected and others are around them, or in households where the attack rate is, you know, 10 to 20 percent in most of the studies that we see, not 50, 60, 80 percent like you would suspect for an airborne infection. Uh, you have already relieved me of the burden of wearing a mask outdoors when I'm going on my long runs. I just want to ask you, is, you know, what are the places, what are the situations where you would recommend wearing a mask outdoors? I think that if you're going to be in a situation where you're around a large group of people and you're definitely not going to be able to maintain your distance from them, you can consider wearing a mask. Even then, it's, you know, it's all kind of a, a matter of weighing the, the risks of uh, you know, how much space you can have between the people, uh, how much movement there is of those people in that environment, uh, what the day is like, and, you know, what's what's the direction of the wind? <laughs> I mean, it's it's really, we don't know. We just haven't studied transmission in outdoor settings well enough yet to truly know what factors to look at. Um, so it does take a lot of judgment as to whether, you know, you're going to be in a large group of people compared to what you feel comfortable with and uh, and how well you can keep yourself from from them. In a few weeks, many Canadian students will be going back to school for the first time in many months. Should there be mandatory masking in schools? 
Yeah, I think for uh, younger children, that's more of a tolerability issue than anything. Uh, it's it's difficult if you have young kids, you can see how they might get excited about wearing their mask at first, but pretty soon it, the novelty wears off and, you know, in fact, they can start tugging at them and wearing them inappropriately, which might introduce some risk. Um, and so, you know, I, I understand that it's still a point, a very big point of controversy, whether or not kids should be wearing masks um, in school. I think that there are other ways that you can also protect kids. So masks may not be the, the only answer and maybe um, just reducing the number of kids and cohorting them and um, putting other measures in place in schools to maintain a protective environment uh, might be the more important way to go as we kind of venture into it. A lot of people are wondering how much, to what extent, COVID-19 is going to change, uh, you know, uh, uh, the way the way we interact with one another socially uh, and, and how close we get to one another. How much has mask wearing become part of the new normal, not just for COVID-19, but for influenza and, and even for the common cold? Yes, I mean, I think that's a very interesting question and we'll see how, as we move through this, are people going to want to just abandon this when, you know, if and when a vaccine comes out or effective therapeutics come out for COVID and are they just going to want to say good riddance or are we going to be looking at this a little bit more holistically and seeing what we can do to reduce the overall impact of respiratory viruses on society year after year? Um, you know, I, I do think that there's a role for that and, uh, and potentially some value to wearing masks more, uh, I guess, more broadly through our respiratory virus seasons, given that we now have more data to support the, the role in, in respiratory virus transmission. Uh, reducing that risk. So I'd, I'd like to see that. It, it'll really depend on just how well people are or willing people are to to keep going with it. Dr. Susie Hota, I want to thank you for unmasking some of the controversies and mysteries around the wearing of masks. You're very welcome. Dr. Susie Hota is Medical Director for Infection Prevention and Control at University Health Network in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. As long as there's COVID-19, masks are likely here to stay. Wearing a mask protects others from you and protects you from others who are infected. You should always wear a mask when you're likely to meet a lot of people and whenever circumstances prevent you from practicing physical distancing. That is especially true whenever you venture indoors to shop. Wearing a mask does not reduce the oxygen you breathe or cause you to retain carbon dioxide. Very few people can't wear a mask. They include those with severe lung disease and those who have severe anxiety while wearing one. Some jurisdictions have mandatory mask laws. It goes without saying to always follow the local rules wherever you live. If you know someone who thinks saying no to masks is a fundamental human right, just remind them that we're in this together. If you have other topics you'd like us to cover, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can also email us. Our address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose and our other program, White Coat Black Art, wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, do us a solid and rate our show highly so others hear about it. This episode was produced by Jeff Goods and me with help from Donna Dingwall. Our digital writer is Brandy Wikely. Fabiola Carletti does our social media. Thanks to Gary Francis for technical support in our studio. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. 
But if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.